most people do what they do because it's what they've always done Mm. or because they've been told or believe it's what they're supposed to do. I mean, we rarely take the time to examine our lives and really ask what it is we actually want Mm -hmm. because it's easier to just keep doing what we're doing than it is to change. Even if that change means a greater level of happiness and freedom in the future. Hey, feasters. Welcome to episode six of season seven of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a brand new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice. And if it isn't, let me know and I will get it there. If you've heard the show before, leave us a review in iTunes. Or why not drop us a comment in Breaker or CastBox? Today's co-host is Adam Clark. I've known Adam for a number of years and like myself, he's a family man, loves talking with other entrepreneurs and lives the life of his own design. Adam is the founder of Podcast Royale and full disclosure, he does all the amazing work that is behind the scenes of this podcast. Once it has been recorded, Adam takes over. He does his magic to make me and the co-hosts of this show sound amazing. Pretty much everything after I press stop on the recording, including the show notes, music, slicing and dicing of the show, that's all Adam. Adam has worked in the podcast space for a long time and in fact worked at Apple for a number of years back. We dive in a little bit into that in this episode. He is the go-to resource for me when it comes to podcasting. And when I shared the idea of this season with him, we started talking about our own philosophies and putting things into practice. I had to push pause on that conversation because it was that good. I wanted to have him on the show and share all of his great insights with you. In this episode, we dive into being in a space where you are intimately familiar with will allow you to stand out and contribute even more value to your client. We talk about founder market fit and why it's really important for service-based and productized businesses. And then we also talk about our values and how that plays into this as well as your ideal client evolves and it will. This is a great one. So here's Adam and myself talking ideal clients. Hey, Feasters, welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I am super excited to bring on Adam today, bringing him back from behind the curtain, if you will. And I'll I'll fully disclose this, that Adam does all the production work on my podcast. He makes me sound like I am, and (laughs) he makes everything of the show that much better, especially if you've heard the, the earlier seasons, that was me and some of the later seasons, that's all Adam. So he does an awesome job. And uh, this is a topic that, you know, me and Adam were talking 
about planning this season. And we were just having that conversation as far as the ideal client. And, and you brought up a, a few things that you went through. And so I want, thought, yes, let's have this conversation as a podcast. And so welcome, Adam. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on, man. I haven't been a guest on a show in a while. This year has, I just tweeted yesterday, I got on Twitter for the first time forever and was like, anything interesting happened in 2019? <laughs> like it's, it's been one of those years where it was literally yesterday, it was January 1st and I don't know how it's flown by so fast. Yeah. I, I don't know how you break away from social media for that length of time. Um, I don't know. Like I can do it on certain platforms. Twitter for me, that's just always the de facto. Like I'm always on there. Yeah. Earlier, like a decade ago, I was like, you know, I have to be on social media for work, for business, for stuff like that. And the main reason this year is just because I just haven't had time. Like there's no, there's no time, you know, by the time the, the day's over and then there's family stuff. And the one I miss the most is Instagram. I love posting daily uh, Instagram stories and stuff like that. Uh, but it's just, I haven't had the time for it this year. And honestly, I haven't really missed any mm -hmm. of it. I missed it a little bit, but not too right. much. And so eventually you hit a point where it, it's not out of choice. It's just necessity because there's not <laughs> any extra time yeah. in the day. That's usually Instagram for me. Like I just fall off the wagon yeah. and I'm just like, you know what? I forget it. <laughs> I haven't posted in a month yeah. other than like my kid's birthday party or something. But uh, yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, so we're here. We're talking about the ideal client, right? And, uh, you know, we're going to unpack a little bit about what that is, looks like for you and how you got there and things like that. And, and some of the things that you look for and it's an evolving sort of thing in anybody's business really. And so, um, yeah. I'd love to unpack that a little bit more, but before we dive in, uh, who is your ideal client? Well, it's evolving. And we talked about this before. It's always evolving. I have sort of my idea of who that would be, but it shifts. It was one thing at the, when I started podcast where it's another thing now. And, Currently, I'm kind of focusing on entrepreneurs, like smaller solopreneur type people, usually making products or services and using podcasting as a way of marketing that mm -hmm. stuff. So essentially like you, you know, is, is an example of that. So when you say an entrepreneur, that's pretty broad, but uh, I tend to focus on a specific kind of entrepreneur, which is what I just mentioned. And also people who are in the industries that I'm familiar with, which tend to be client services related to marketing and design and that that group. Yeah, okay. So I get entrepreneur, like you said, is, is broad. Why stick to the folks that are doing client services work? Yeah, it's not so much that I'm sticking to client services or that I've chosen to focus on people who do services versus products, it's just kind of happened that way. We definitely have some clients who make products, but they're still sort of service oriented products in a way. They're not a lot of uh, like SaaS companies or companies that uh, just make a product and that that's all they do. Hmm. You know, because again, most of my clients tend to be um, smaller and either they're solo operations or they have very small teams, that kind of thing. So there's usually a mix. And I think, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, but I think it kind of worked out that way because that's the world that I was in for so long and that's the world that I'm comfortable in. And I like working with those kinds of people. 
And I feel like I understand, even though now I'm focusing on podcasting, which is a, a little bit different, I still feel like I understand uh, what they're doing and what they're trying to do and the needs and and that kind of thing. So it's more about the size, I would say, than it is the actual deliverable that they offer. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because, I mean, obviously what you do, especially for podcast hosts, I mean, one of the big reasons why we, you know, built our relationship as far as the working relationship goes is for me, it was a lot of time on the back end of it. Yeah. I'm not an audio guy by any stretch of the imagination. So just to even get to where I, it was somewhat sounding okay was like a lot of work yeah. for me, but also the other stuff like the scheduling of posts, you know, the show notes and, and putting it up on the host and all of those other things, even the show notes, the fact that you have that knowledge of that space and industry you can also speak to in that voice, right? Like you kind of know yeah. what they're looking for. So I, th I think that's super important. Yeah. And I've struggled with that even with like hiring people because you'd hire people and they might be a writer or they might have writing experience. But if, if we have, for example, a dev show or something related to a very technical topic and the person who's writing the show notes is listening and doesn't understand anything that's being talked about, the show notes aren't going to be that mm -hmm. great, you know? So I've even thought about, you know, niching down further into something ultra specific, like podcast production for development shows or something like that. You know, I don't think I'll do that, but it's just an example of being, you know, the domain knowledge, being familiar with what your clients do and who they serve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's, I've learned that over the years too, as far, especially as I've gotten more away from the dev and coding life and more into marketing and email automation and behavioral stuff. Yeah. Me having the angle from much more casual, smaller business, you know, it's not corporate like, it's not highly technical, yeah. like medical fields and things like that. That language for me has always been easier for me to come by and understand and craft right. for my own clients. And that's, those are my clients. They're not those technical professionals, those medical doctors and, you know, huge corporations. While I did work for those things in the back past, it's not now. So yeah. I think one of the, one of the things that we, we talked a little bit about, and we were talking about like product market fit and you hear that a lot, right? Like what product market fit, but you, you brought up a good point about founder market fit. Can you share a little bit more about what that look, what that means for you? Yeah. I mean, you hear people talking about founder market fit and, you know, if you Google that, you'll see a bunch of articles and I tend to think it's, it's really important because Podcast Royale is a productized service and we tend to work with clients who also have productized services. I really just like mm -hmm. that mix. Um, I really like the idea of productized services. It feels like just right for me, but when, when you, especially when you're doing a productized service, I feel like the founder market fit is really important because it matters if you like who you work with. And especially if it's a smaller business and you tend to be in contact with those people on a regular basis, the ability to understand them and know what their needs are and empathize with them and also enjoy working with them is a big deal. So. I think it's true that those things aren't always necessarily the most important things. 
but it comes down to what you want. I mean, like I've constantly been given the advice to move up market, you mm-hmm. know, like find uh, companies that have more money to spend, focus on customers who uh, have bigger budgets and all that kind of stuff. And I did kind of, I don't want to say I pursued that. I, I did look into it a little bit. I have friends who run companies that are much bigger and have much larger amounts of revenue and marketing budgets and marketing teams and everything. But for me, it just came down to the fact that I didn't enjoy uh, working with those businesses. Mm. You know, I didn't enjoy as much, like you say, uh, the process of working with a large marketing team and all that comes with that. Sure, there is uh, more money involved in that, but there's also other trade-offs, you know, and I like working with smaller B2B businesses and even more specifically, I just like the whole entrepreneurship category, like that Mm -hmm. lane, you know, people like you, people like me, you know, all our mutual friends that we interact with online and conferences and meetups and stuff over the last decade. I just get a lot of uh, energy and excitement out of this category of people. So it is a trade-off because I can't charge $5,000 a month, Mm. you know, where I might be able to do that with larger companies. It affects pricing, which affects everything else about the business as well. But at the end of the day, I'm happier. And so it kind of, you know, it ties into what is it that you really want? And I don't think a lot of people, not they don't ask themselves what they, what they really want, but I don't think they put a lot of effort into figuring that out or a lot of stock in the answer. Mm -hmm. Like it almost doesn't matter what you really want. It matters what brings you the most money or something like that. Right. And I found this just in regards to, you know, entering coaching, you know, being a mentor and a coach over the past couple of years is that when you ask somebody why they started in the first place, it often is they're not almost honest with themselves. Like, they want to say the right thing, not what actually it is. And it's okay yeah. that if, and I'd say this too, it's like, if, if you're in it for the money, that's fine. There's no wrong answer to yeah. that. And so, and like, to your point, I mean, you know, I know like myself, you're a big family guy and, and that's, what's important. And hearing just how you unpack that and keeping that front of mind, like, yes, you could go chase that $5,000 a month client and you could do an awesome job for them. At the end of the day, if it's sucking the life out of you and taking up time away from your family and things like that, it's just not worth it. And I feel the same way. Yeah. And it's not even like money is the only trade off because I'm in it for the money, too. Obviously, I you know want to make money and that's a big part of it. But each different kind of client requires a different kind of process. Mm -hmm. So. It's not even that like necessarily that would take more time or just be, you know, miserable or whatever. But the way I like to run my business and the way the process I like to have in place, the way I like to do things works best with solo creators and makers, which in a way it makes it very difficult because that group typically doesn't have a lot of extra money. <laughs> so it's it makes it even more narrow because I have to find entrepreneurs and and small businesses who also are profitable, you know, they figured out how to be profitable and they have a certain amount of money to spend on their marketing efforts. Mm. But the advantages of being able to 
work within the process I like best are worth that right. to me. So again, it comes back to what do I really want or what does each individual entrepreneur really want? Adam talks here about the nuance to his ideal client, namely the types of budgets that they have. It's a really smart insight into how well he knows his ideal client. He really has validated that type of client and worked within that space for such a long time that he's empathetic to their situation. But he also knows the value that his service brings to them. If you want worksheets and exercises and the ability to create the ideal client and precise solution to offer that client so that you can actually be that go-to resource and build a sustainable business, head over to feastacademy.com today. As a member, you'll get the processes and templates to not only figure out who your ideal client and services that you can provide for them, but you'll also learn how to figure out the price to put on those services that makes it a complete no-brainer for the client. That's why I want to invite you to check out Feast. By using the code FOUNDER, you get your first month for only $20. Look, Feast is the community and resource hub for developers and designers ready to get off that project searching hamster wheel and actually run the business that they set out to build. Feast helps position you in the market with what you do, who you help, and helps you build the processes and systems for client management, sales, marketing, delivery, and of course, pricing. Your business isn't the same as everyone else's, and this is where Feast differentiates itself from everything else out there. When you are a member of Feast, you get personalized guidance from myself. It's essential for me to meet you where you are and make sure that you are getting the exact tools so that you don't get lost in the shuffle. See, the moment you sign up, we're going to have a chat so that I can create a custom syllabus of resources within Feast to meet you where you are. If you want to stop chasing down that next project all the time so that you can start living your life, go to feastacademy.com and use the code FOUNDER at checkout for your first month for only $20. It's key here to point out that while you work with that specific kind of entrepreneur, like we've been talking about, but also it's the entrepreneur that realizes the value of a podcast, right? What they're doing already right. has traction. They have to recognize that. Um, and then knowing that you can then say, okay, I can see that they're marketing, they're doing podcasts, they're have 50, hundred episodes in the can already. So this is something that they're not just going to try and, and, and hope sure. to, that it works. Right. And so some of those identifying factors there is key in helping you be able to target the specific entrepreneur there. And obviously, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not a writer. I'd much rather just pull up a microphone and have a conversation with somebody <laughs> than write a blog post. But, yeah, you know, much to the other side of things is like, um, you know, people are like, hey, you got to start doing more video. You got to start doing it. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And I don't mind doing that stuff, but it's just 
Now I have to set up this whole other thing, right? And I have to have the lighting perfect. And for me, audio just jives. I have the process, it works. And and so far it's been beneficial for me and my business. So uh, I totally get it. Yeah, I mean, figuring out what it is you're offering and who it's really for, you've done whole seasons about this. I mean, it's really critical. And that's the thing is though, is it evolves because I those things have changed for me from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, I initially thought I was offering one thing and then like six months in, I talked to our clients and find out, well, none of them felt like that's what they were getting. They were all buying the service for a different reason. And so, you know, then I started to focus on that. And and even that was a, was a bit of a struggle. Like, is that really what I want to do? Is that what I want to be working on every day? Is that the value I want to offer? Or is there something different? And in one hand, it sounds like a great problem to have that you can think about what you really want to be doing rather than what you have to be doing. I don't mean to make it sound like there aren't parts of this that are just like, well, you just have to suck it up and do this because you need the clients or you need the money or whatever. There's certainly part of that to it, but it's cool to be able to think about a certain kind of value that I want to be able to provide and and being able to focus on that. Mm-hmm. And so all these things are interconnected is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, you know, when I was talking with Brian Castle, who was on last season, you know, he was saying like when he first started, you know, he was a designer. He knew that yeah. realm, right? And when he talked about Restaurant Engine, he was trying to build something with no domain knowledge. He was trying to solve a problem yeah. that they didn't, that he thought that they had. Um, and once he realized that, you know, he only, he could take the company so far because of that, he sold it. And then he's worked in his own domain of what he knows best. And it's totally like that whole founder market fit idea for me, I get product market fit, but for me, I, I, I feel like founder market is the place that you really have to understand. You have to be honest with yourself, really understand the market where you're going to and who you're going to serve. Um, And then you can back into a product that serves that market. Yeah. You know, that's what, uh, you know, mutual friend, Alex McClafferty talks about a lot of times is like, you know, talk about you, figure out what it is that's important to you and how you, the business that not what you're doing, but the business, the type of business that you want to run, understand what that looks like and then figure out how a product fits into that. Yeah. Because what we're talking about here too are, are values, you know, and that's one of the biggest things is like alignment of values that the people that you're going to be serving and working for essentially that you're aligned in, in all these different areas. And it's not like you're thinking about all these explicitly when you're filling out documents or going through ideal client exercises or avatar exercises or whatever, but these are important things to think through so that when you're selling and when you're in these conversations, you can tell whether this client is going to be a good fit or not. And it's more than just whether or not they can afford it and whether or not they're willing to say yes, (laughs) which is where a lot of people find themselves. It's just, they take whatever they can get, you know, but I find that a key element of being happy kind of day to day is that alignment of values and alignment of worldview. And that ties into the the kinds of services you offer and the way in which you offer them. Then it's, it's almost like an extension of your own business. You know, you the, the biggest thing for me is it's like, I feel like I'm working with friends. I feel like my clients are my mm-hmm. friends. They're people I would hang out with in real life. And for a long time, I thought, 
well, that's just a pipe dream. That's unrealistic. You know, I can't expect to build a business where my clients are my friends. I mean, maybe to a certain level, but it could never scale. It would never be able to grow beyond a certain point. And maybe that is true. I don't know. But it's so far being able to work with the kind of people that I want to work with, people that I would call friends has been worth it. Hmm. So before we get into, because you brought up some of those exercises and things like, and I want to hear your input on those, those things. But before we do that, what would you consider your defining moment in life so far? Man, that's a tough one because I feel like I've had so many epiphanies in my <laughs> life because I'm constantly in search of like self-discovery, you know, like who am I, what am I here for? And what is my purpose in life? Like I've been asking myself these questions since I was six. Mm. So it tends to lead to a lot of like, quote, discoveries about oneself. So I feel like there are so many sort of defining moments, but I guess more recently in the last five years or so, there were a couple things. Mm -hmm. And the first one, the more personal one was when my youngest daughter was born. She's four now, but she was born. Uh, we were in California. I was working for Apple at the time. And it was just a, it was a really dark time in my life. And she just brought this incredible joy. You know, it's hard to explain. It sounds super cheesy. And, and I have two older daughters too. So it's not like, you know, it was, there was something different about mm -hmm. this one. And I think what it made me realize in that moment was that happiness is achievable. Right, <laughs> that right. sounds kind of silly. Like, well, obviously happiness is achievable, but I feel like I'd just been in a period of just constant struggle for so long. It felt like, you know, this is just all there is, you know, it's constantly struggling to make the business work, constantly struggling to make relationships work and make your marriage work and make the um, finances work and all these things. And it was kind of just this moment of like, what, what's really important, you know, what, what really makes me happy and what doesn't and, and that kind of thing. And the second thing related to that is around the same time, I was really asking myself this question of what is it that I really want? I've talked about this so much over the years on different shows and things, but related to the idea of happiness is what do you really want? You know, what do you really want out of life? And realizing that if I was willing to ask that question and keep following the answer kind of wherever it went, I could end up somewhere that mattered to me, mm. you know, that I could uncover something or a series of answers that would be meaningful that I could reverse engineer a way to get there. And I think for me, what I ultimately wanted was freedom. And you could say you call it happiness, but for me, happiness and freedom are kind of interchangeable. Right. And so whether that's freedom to spend time with my family or pursue my interests or make things, uh, create things, or just freedom to follow some rabbit trail of discovery and learn some new thing just because it was fascinating. You know, I, I really wanted to build a life that gave me that freedom. And I think most people do what they do because it's, it's what they've always done or because they've been told either directly or indirectly through cultural norms or whatever, but that this is what they should do. These are the, these are the options. They don't ever take time to examine their lives and ask, what is it that they really want? And then take the next step of figuring out 
how to accomplish that. Like we all sort of daydream about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Man, what if I could have this or could achieve that or live here or whatever, but we don't take those things seriously. You know, most people think about that stuff and then they go to bed and get up (laughs) the next morning and go to their job. You know, it's not like we think about that and go, okay, well, how do I actually make that a reality? And then when you start doing that, you go, well, is that really what I want then? If I'm going to go after this, is that what I really want? And this isn't something that you just figure out. It's not a question you ask yourself and three days later, you got an answer. I I thought about this stuff for a decade, Uh you know, all through my 20s. I've got two months left of my 30s and I I feel like I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but it's... (laughs) It has, it's only been in the last few years that I feel like I've been able to somewhat answer that question, like figure out what it is that I actually want and then sort of a a path of how I might get there. Mm -hmm. I remember driving down this road, I was leaving the office and I was just thinking about that question. Like, I'm not really happy right now. And my daughter who was just born has kind of made me realize how unhappy Mm -hmm. I was in that moment. So what am I really after? And we kind of romanticize those kinds of questions and leave them for movies and entertainment and stuff. But we don't take it seriously that we can actually figure that out Mm -hmm. and we can actually be happy and we can actually get what we want out of life. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why it is that we don't think that's possible, or at least I didn't think that was possible. So that was a pretty big moment for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the premise of this show is to have conversations with people that live their life of their own design, right? That's the basic yeah. premise of this show because very similarly, I did the same thing. I didn't know, look, I'm 42. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, right? Yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah. I got some years on you, but at the same time, I know when I was 14 that I didn't want to wake up and work at a place or spend the entire day that I dreaded doing. Right. And this was something that I realized when I was 14. I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't even know that was possible. That was pre-internet. So like at this point in time, I was on the trajectory for the traditional job sitting in a cube somewhere. Right. And so, yeah, you know, over a period of time, it's evolved that that has morphed into things. And, you know, similarly, when my first son was born, I didn't know at that time that I had realized a dream that I had. And yeah. that changed the trajectory of my business, my life, what I wanted to do and things like that. And because I had realized one of those dreams of being able to be home, see first yeah. steps, hear those first words and those sort of things. And I did all I wanted to do at that point in time. And that was, I remember because it was the drive home from the hospital. And I, you know, I was like, how can I help more people have this moment? And I was like, well, I'm nobody special. I'm yeah. a developer. I can help other developers do what I did. It's not, you know, rocket science. It's just, it's hard work. You have to put in the work, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, that stuff, it's, it's funny. Like, yeah, I, you know, we kind of joke about like when we grow up sort of thing, but yeah, I mean, from time to time, things are going to shift, change all that stuff. I mean, having two sons, you know, with you know your kids as well, like those point in times for me, like moments in time that have shifted my mindset, you know, both times. Well, I think too that, like I said, it it takes having experiences. That's the other thing. It's like, I used to do that. I'd be like, what do I, maybe specific to business, you know, one of my freelance businesses or something, you know, what do I I want this thing to be? But I didn't have any experience to draw from. So that's why I say it's like, 
I don't know that you can figure this out in your twenties. Maybe you can, but Mm -hmm. like I couldn't because, you know, I just didn't have enough various views on things to, to even be able to go, well, this is what I don't want, you know, and this is what I do Mm -hmm. want. And so at this point I've had like 15 different careers (laughs) and I don't think that's going to stop. I just, you know, kind of, that's part of it too. I kind of accepted that about myself is that, you know, I did the whole corporate cubicle thing. I've done that. I've done the freelancer thing. I've done just all sorts of different things. And so I feel like I have a better perspective on what makes me happy, what doesn't. And it's it's very freeing to be able to feel like I'm working on something that is getting me somewhere and has a meaning behind it, has purpose, you know, adds purpose to my life. And those were big things that I felt like I didn't have for the longest time. Like I was just doing what I was doing because it was the next thing to do. There was no... It wasn't getting me anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to sum that up is like, I think a lot of people, they don't give themselves permission to be there. Like they get those pressures to do the traditional, Hey, I have to sit in a cube or I have to take on my father's business or, you know, there's some, you know, traditional legacy norm that they have to follow and such. And so when people romanticize, like you said, about what is it that they want and how do they want their lives to look? They don't give themselves permission to be that way. Right. So that's why they do shelve it and they say, okay, that's good for the movies. It's not good for me. Well, that's even like Tim Ferriss talks about, you know, asking the question, uh, what's the worst that could happen? Like, what is it that you're afraid of? And then logically follow that out to its natural end. And often you realize that, okay, the worst that could happen isn't really that bad. Right. We just assume that if we, if you take this leap or you, you do this thing, you know, the worst that could happen is everybody dies or something. And it's, and it's not really, you know, maybe you go bankrupt and maybe for some people that would be a horrible thing. I don't know, but, but it's probably not even that is what I'm trying to say. You know, the the worst thing that could happen is, is actually not that bad, but we only know these things if we actually think about them. And like you said, give yourself permission to, to go there and process all of this and try things and experiment and I just think most people don't do that because it's hard. Right, right. It's hard work. I don't know if it was Joe Rogan. Someone said um, accomplishing that kind of stuff takes a lot of discipline. Mm-hmm. And I think most people would rather trade, you know, like future happiness and freedom for momentary comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is easier to just keep doing what you've been doing because that's what you know. And you know, the paycheck is arriving every two weeks or whatever, you know, whatever the thing is that, you know, it's easier just to stick with that, even if you're not happy. But if you have the discipline, then you can accomplish the thing that you want to accomplish, whatever that may be, and be much better off down the road. But it is scary and it is really hard work. Yeah, no, 100% agree. So we talked, touched a little bit about the the customer avatar exercises and things like that. Did you do any of that sort of thing when you were thinking about Podcast Royale and in the initial stages, or even maybe after a year or two of it being out and about, you say, hey, look, maybe I could focus in, maybe there's a, a an exercise or some method that I could put myself through to get that ideal client? Yeah, I did those. There, there are a bunch. And if you're like me, you have purchased a million online courses around 
topics like defining your audience and building your business and growth and, and all that sort of stuff. And every single one of them has some sort of customer avatar exercise or whatever. I mean, I have my own forms that I have clients go through about kind of identifying an ideal listener and figuring out what success looks like for a podcast. So I definitely went through those things and I think they're really, they're useful to do. When I launched Podcast Royale, I had an idea of who the client would be and that's sort of how it's ended up being. But I think that's only because this isn't my first time launching a business. You know, I've done this multiple times before and in multiple venues, like multiple verticals, if you will. And so, so I kind of already had some ideas about that, but I think they're really useful in, especially if you haven't done them before, but also in broadening your horizons a little bit to what the possibilities are. And I found usually what works better for me is almost uh, working from a negative. Like a lot of people have a really hard time answering the question, what do they want or who is their ideal customer? I find that they have an easier time answering what they don't want or who they don't want to work with and then start there. And then framing who you want to work with in a different, with different words, like what would success look like? Mm. What would success look like for your podcast? What would success look like for your business? You know, a year from now, it's successful beyond your wildest dreams. What are you doing that day? Specifically, what are you doing that day? What do you spend your typical day doing? Who are you working with? And you have these conversations. I'll have these conversations with clients and they'll just be talking and they'll say something. And I'm like, that's it right there. You just said what you want. And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess that's true. You know, and, but when I ask them, what is it that you actually want or what are you actually trying to achieve? They have a hard time answering that. But just getting them talking about something like that oftentimes will arrive at the same conclusion. Right. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I mean, anytime I've altered my ideal client or shifted or pivoted or whatever you want to say, it's always been off of the back of a negative. Yeah. I never really thought about it until this season, to be honest with you, when I was like, what exercises have I done? Right. Like, you know, when we first started talking about, you know, what the season was going to look like, you know, I look back on the pivot points. Did I do an exercise? Did I think about certain things? Like, what could I do so that when, you know, I can have folks like yourself come on the show, like I could relate, right? And we're, you know, ask pointed questions in a way. And so it's funny how knowing who you don't want to work with is so much easier than trying to figure out who you do want to work with. Because I think in my own head, it's so finite, like I can pinpoint exactly the type of person, the type of project, the type of things I don't want to do. But yet when I think about who I potentially want to work with, that is like the horizon, right? Like, I don't know who's out there. Like I could kind of maybe think about some of the things, but it doesn't really pinpoint exactly who, but once you do the, the negative work or the negative characteristics, then you have red flags, Right. And that's kind of how I look yeah. at it. It's like, okay, well, if they start ticking off some of those red flags, then I know that that's not going to work. So I think that yeah. was, that was helpful for me in the initial stages to identify those red flags. And it sounds like same thing for you. I mean, I don't know why, but it always does seem to be e- easier to focus on the negative for those of you out there who are married and have had a fight with your spouse. Not that I've ever gone through that in 13 years <laughs> of marriage. We've never fought, but, um, 
you know, you remember those things. <laughs> you tend to remember those things a little more than sometimes the positive moments. Mm. And the same thing is true with like work. It's like you get a day off and you don't know what to do with yourself, mm. but you're just happy that you're not working. So the point is, it doesn't really matter how you get there. You know, the point is to get there, to figure out what it is you really want, who it is you really want to work with, what it is you really want to offer. And sometimes approaching that from negative experiences, like you said, it adds a lot of contrast. It it makes it pretty clear what those things are, who those people are, et cetera. Yeah. So before I let you go, what's up next for the next six, 12 months? I think the next phase for me is to really focus on customer acquisition, which is a fancy way of saying sales. So I've never been great at sales. I've always relied on referrals. Mm -hmm. My first freelance business as a web designer was all referral from day one. And it was great that I was able to make an income based off referrals, but it was super nerve wracking because you never knew you're at the mercy of someone emailing you. And you also end up taking on work you don't really want to do because it's all that's available at the moment. And then somewhere along the line, I discovered recurring revenue, which is the greatest thing ever. I don't know why it took 20 years to discover that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been amazing. Um, but even with recurring revenue, it's easy to just get into the daily rhythm of meeting your deliverables and deadlines. And the point is, if you're not selling, if you're not reaching out, doing reach outs, if not on a daily basis, then, you know, a regular basis, you're not going to grow, right, right. you know, and then you lose a client or two and you find yourself back in the feast or famine kind of thing. And so the big thing for me is figuring out how to do more sales work and growing those skills. Cause I'm not great at that, but it's just like anything else. You can learn that, you know, mm-hmm, and it's kind of finding the time and dedicating myself to actually, actually doing that. The methods I have now work pretty well, but I just need to do more of it. Yeah. No. Awesome. Yeah. Well, if, Hey, if anybody wants a glowing testimonial from me, (laughs) uh, Adam does an awesome job. Best part about, and this is, you know, Adam didn't prompt me. He can give me the 20 later if you want. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) uh, the best part about working with Adam is that he's always open to a conversation, questions, thoughts, feedback, all of that stuff. For me, he's helped me craft this podcast that you're listening to right now in a way that not just makes sense for you guys, but also for me as well. And he's made me a better host on doing that. And so I really, truly appreciate you, Adam, and everything that you do for me and all of your wisdom on the podcast side, as well as on the personal side to value our friendship. So I was super excited to have you on the show here today. Where can folks, since you do these like social media sabbaticals and whatnot, uh, where can folks reach out and say uh, thanks for this? Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. This was fun and I'm always down to talk. I always enjoy doing that. And I would still say Twitter because I still get notifications. (laughs) I'm just not, uh, I just don't sit there for an hour and peruse anymore because whenever that happens, I find myself hating the world and everyone um, <laughs> when I do that. So, but I'm AV Clark on Twitter and podcastrail.net. Those are probably the, the two best spots. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Adam, and uh, for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks. And for everyone listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast.
you enjoyed today's episode, I could speak for both Adam and myself by saying that we'd love to hear the one takeaway that you got from this episode. It's super simple. In the podcast app of choice, presumably this one you are listening to right now, drop in a comment or a review, or go ahead and share it in a tweet and tag me at Rez, that's with three Zs, on Twitter. Don't forget to also hit that subscribe button so that you'll be the first to listen in next week when we'll be back with Paul Sokol. Paul has built a business around automation in Infusionsoft. Well, now keep, I guess. But he also has a business built around event marketing. And we're going to talk about how he's overcome some of the misconceptions in the event industry and validating the avatar as well. Till then, it's your time to live in the feast. Mm-hmm.